Greetings. Welcome to the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Chuck Randolph, Ontic's Vice President of Security and Intelligence. From 30 years as a military officer and 20 transforming corporate security teams to function beyond their traditional roles, protection, risk management, and threat mitigation have been front and center throughout my career. This podcast series will explore the turbulent world of risk, security, and protective strategies through conversations with leaders and innovators in the field. Now, on to the conversation. Brian McDermott is a solutions architect for Athenic Solutions Group. He's the founder of Red Team Solutions and Training and is an advisory board member at the Center for Advanced Red Teaming at the University of Albany, State University of New York. Brian is a Marine, retiring after 20 years as a lieutenant colonel in 2016. He has contributed to multiple works on the subject of red teaming and teaches red teaming for the U.S. military. Brian McDermott, thank you for joining us on the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. No, thank you very much, Chuck. I'm very happy to be here and, and look forward to the discussion and uh, you know any other questions that uh, may come, uh, not just from you, but even after uh, this episode, I'm happy to uh, I'm happy to provide some information. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I want to, because, you know, we, we tend to keep these things rather tight in terms of timing. I, I just want to jump right into the deep end. So let's, let's lock arms and, and get into it there, Leatherneck. Um, one thing I'd, I'd like, if you don't mind, is can you tell us what red teaming is and maybe what it is not? Absolutely, Chuck. So first of all, when you talk about red teaming, uh, it, it depends on the context of who you're talking to. And what I mean by that is if there's someone that's more in a cyber realm or IT realm, red teaming means a certain definition to them. Uh, if you talk to someone who does more uh, uh, physical penetration or insider threat type stuff, that might be another definition. But the definition I'm going to cover today, uh, it's uh, widely used by the DOD, which uh, Department of Defense, which started its actual definition from the red team school uh, known as University Foreign Military Cultural Studies that was out in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, that uh, was in operation for about 15 years. It closed its doors in October 2021. And that def- the original definition has been promulgated into a joint publication, 2-TAC-0, 5-TAC-0. Uh, the Marine Corps uh, Marine Corps Warfighting Pub 5-TAC-10 has grabbed a, a, a definition of it, as well as uh, uh, I, I know there's an Army pub out there that has it. I just haven't seen it yet. But what it says in the joint pub, basically, uh, it's supposed to help the commander and the staff to think critically and uh, creatively through varying perspectives and challenge their thinking and also mitigate biases uh, and groupthink and provide an independent capability to fully explore alternatives and plans or operations in the context of the operating environment uh, from perspective of adversaries and other relevant actors. That's what the old definition was. The definition that's in the, the last ver- uh, version of the Red Team Handbook version 9 I actually like a lot more because it applies to more than just I'll say DOD or specifically military planning. And basically that one is, it's a flexible cognitive approach to thinking and planning that is specifically tailored to each organization and each situation. Because uh, context is very important and, and that relies on a person using, uh, uh, in, in this context, uh, structured tools or techniques. You can call them cognitive tools. Some may call them structure analytic techniques. There's other facilitation method uh, tools that are used in this red team and methodology that I'm, I'm familiar with and basically uses these tools and techniques to help a, a person as well as a group ask better questions to challenge explicit and more importantly, the implicit assumptions that, that groups and, uh, and people have 
also maybe expose information that might not otherwise be seen at first go, might uh, identify some uh, unknowns, unknowns is our favorite one, or at least known unknowns, maybe uh, bring those more to light. Also develop alternatives to plans or, or a thought process that might not have existed during the, at the first go of it. it. It definitely cultivates mental agility, which allows uh, red teamers to rapidly shift between multiple perspectives to appreciate and develop a fuller appreciation of complex situations and environments. And, and Chuck, not just in the intelligence community or the Department of Defense, but I know in corporate America or, or the corporate world, uh, you know, there are those complex problems that you know, humans by themselves can't really address by uh, by themselves in these com- in this uh, what's known as a VUCA environment, volatile, uh, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. So it usually takes multiple people with uh, hopefully you have varying perspectives and diverse backgrounds in order to approach these problems to better understand what it is and better understand how to approach whether it's to develop a better plan, whether it's to uh, do risk mitigation, whatever the case may be. Uh, and uh, you know what it what this leads to eventually in this definition of red teaming, it leads to an improved understanding of, of uh, the, the environment that you're in or, or the problem that you're looking at or the issue you need to uh, develop a solution. Uh, more options are actually generated uh, by everyone that participates in this. We can get into that maybe a little bit later. Uh, there are better decisions that the decision makers have to make uh, because they, they appreciate the information that is given to them, especially uh, challenging implicit assumptions and maybe challenging maybe the status quo. Uh, and maybe a different way on how to look at how to uh, solve a problem or, or mitigate a situation. And then it mitigates uh, various biases. I say mitigate on purpose. Some literature out there says it eliminates bias. I equate bias and logical fallacies. Uh, for my day in, ba- in professional basketball, it's Michael Jordan. Maybe it's Kobe Bryant or uh, uh, I know there's other players. Uh, I'm, I'm a little old and dated myself, or we can use even. Um, uh, <laughs> you can um, use Jordan. He is the GOAT, even though I, I, I just heard on a the radio the other day that goat is a dead term, but I, I think Jordan <laughs> is appropriate for this. So, so, uh, or LeBron James, right? So, uh, biases are there. So LeB- Michael Jordan, LeBron James, they're going to score their points. We just hope before defending them, we try and mitigate how many points they're going to score. And that's where, uh, some of these tools and methodologies can help mitigate those biases, help us remain open-minded and open to, uh, 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 a deliberative mindset to have a better conversation and ask better questions. Yeah. Now I, I, I love this idea. Like really, if you think about red teaming, again, it's very complex depending on who you ask it as many different things. And we could talk about the differences between a red cell and a red team, but essentially red teaming helps us ask better questions. And I, I love the idea that you said, Hey, look, we got to mitigate our biases. I agree with you. I don't think we eliminate them. We can only mitigate them because we are all humans and as a result of that, we, we have human fallacies. But last count that I saw, there's over 180 biases that you have, that you have, to, um, you have to manage. And you know, the idea of red teaming, again, is to say, hey, look, I have an assumption about a certain issue or about something we're doing, an action, whatever. And now I need to look at it from a different point of view. And that doesn't mean like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and find another, you know, person who's like me and say, hey, where am I wrong in this? It's really about taking a, as as you said, Brian, a structured look at the problem set to say, what are, what are the opposing views? What are the opposing options? You know, I I think the approach to solving a problem is just as important as the solution itself. I mean, how does red teaming help that? Uh, Well, red teaming uh, helps that by 
by slowing down the mind, uh, the human mind, uh, uh, we are naturally lazy by nature. We just are because it takes energy to critically think. It takes energy to uh, work through complex situations, really uh, look at it from multiple perspectives, uh, especially those who have more experience in a workforce and those who might be considered a subject matter expert in a certain uh uh, I'm sure everyone has heard maybe someone saying in my whole years of experience, X, Y, Z, um, you know, I, I, I specifically remember in the military at a uh, at a final planning conference where uh, a Department of State representative said, you know, in my 30 years, I've never seen it done like this. I've never seen uh, a, an adversary or, or a political entity do X. So uh, these techniques are to mainly help slow down the mind. And in, uh, in cha- increase the chance of engaging critical thinking, which would engage a chance of being open-minded to uh, appreciate uh, information that's out there, specifically if it causes cognitive dissonance. In a nutshell, cognitive dissonance, it, uh, you hear information that goes against what you believe to be true. And human nature usually does two things with those. It either discards it, <laughs> or I'll say a little bit more dangerous, it, it, you reinterpret the information in, that you hear in order to fit your point of view or your frame of reference for what you believe to be true. And, and that uh, obviously could lead to some issues uh, when you're dealing with, uh, if you're looking at a problem from not the way it should be, that might lead you to ha- uh, come up with a solution that is not effective or even worse, you might uh, be, uh, fail and that would cause a lot of money and time in order to fix that, those problems. Have you ever ran across the leader or have you, you know, do you have any stories around like leaders who are presented with the facts of a red team that says, hey, look, your assumption about this action is incorrect based or or maybe is fallible based on the information provided by the red team. And yet that leader still like has that can't give that cognitive release to say, "Okay, fine. So we have hubris. We have all these other things that are going to fight against the red team action. I mean, how should leaders or how should people who are receiving um, alternative intelligence analysis, red team type activity, how do you go into taking a report or receiving the information? Because I got to imagine in communication, the reception of the information is just as important as the communication of it. Uh, You're absolutely right, Chuck. So uh, when you're giving information to uh, someone, uh, what they, what one of the things we uh, learned in the red team school uh, was about that intrapersonal communication, making sure the words that I use are being understood by the receiver. Uh, a real quick side story, and I'll get to a leader that uh, that may have not liked what I had to say. You know, uh, one thing I've shared, uh, if you remember uh, the Rodney King verdict in the 90s, and there was some unrest in the in the Los Angeles area and, and surrounding uh, towns. Well, the Marines were actually asked to help provide security for law enforcement so they can execute their duties. And in this one story that I had heard, I can't verify, I just heard this from uh, somebody who's familiar with the situation is there's a suspected bunch of uh, uh, gang members that were armed and dangerous in a house. And the law enforcement wanted to serve a search warrant. And with them were a fire team of Marines at this time, you know, early night was four Marines, uh, three with M6, uh, two with M16s, one with a M249 a light machine gun. Uh, and then there was a uh, uh, the team lead would have an M16 and an M203 40 millimeter grenade launcher underneath that. So they're providing security. The law enforcement used this term "cover me" to go and serve the warrant. Well, cover me in the, as you can imagine, Chuck, I know you have prior military experience. So cover me in the law enforcement experience means you, you know, draw your weapons and you get ready to, to uh, uh, return fire or prosecute targets if they develop a threat. 
uh, to you or whom you're trying to protect. In the military, most of that time means you lay a base base of cover fire down while the maneuver element gets into a better position. So a few hundred rounds were launched when, when, uh, from the Marines when they heard this term, and everyone said, cease fire, this, that, and the other. And from what I heard, all of a sudden, you see these things get thrown out of the house that look like handguns, and then you know, a few individuals walk out. And, and I know it's kind of a humorous end to this uh, very serious story, but more importantly is you're talking about people who are Americans, who understand English as the primary language. Most of them at least went through at least high school. Some probably were in college or, or at least a, post, a post-high school type education. We all understand the language. However, those two organizations, cover me means two different things. So even within an organization, I'll say our stovepipes of excellence, you have to make sure that the words that you're using, uh, even if you're part of a company, uh, I'll just throw a large company like Lidos, but you work in different sections. The language that you use, you have to make sure that it means something. And also that ties into that assumption uh, that you challenge that implied assumption. Do you know what I mean? And human nature is we don't like to be wrong. So a lot of times we go, of course. And I, I love that idea. Well, I love that story. It, it could have been a lot worse. But this idea of like, you know, we have common operating information that's going to get us to common operating language that's going to get us to a common operating picture. And I believe that's the way that you actually get to a common operating, you know, uh, operational environment, because I think you make a good point, Brian, and this is where red teaming can help. Look, we both might be speaking English here. I could be French. You could be German. I may speak English, but I think in German. I'm, you may speak you know, English, but you dream in, in, in French. So at some point, we have a cultural bias that's going to come with us based on where we're from. So you, you look at things and we're like, gosh, that's ludicrous. Nobody would ever do that. However, red teams come in and say, look, actually, Culturally, operationally, everything that we know about, you know, adversarial elements, whether it's it's another corporation trying to get in your space, whether it's an actual threat actor, says that they operate this way and it's in antithesis to the way we're thinking. So now we're back to that cognitive, you know, dissonance and that cognitive separation between, you know, me and my biases and how the opposing element might be thinking and acting in producing their own plans. Am I getting that correct? Oh, you absolutely are, Chuck. And, and you bring up a good point about uh, maybe working with uh, others, not just, I'll say, other cultures. And in, in the case you brought up, maybe, uh, you know, using NATO, there's a perp- there's a reason why they call the uh, NATO Alternative Analysis Handbook, the Alternative Analysis Handbook. If you use the term red team, uh, there are some countries uh, in, in uh, Northern Europe that really don't like that term. So, uh, so, talk about those cultural nuances, but also within, uh, or even with your same organization, you may have nuances within your organization. And, and this ties into uh, one of the principles of the Red Team School that I promulgated, not just uh, in my, uh, after I learned about it, not just in my professional life, but my personal life. So there's fostering cultural empathy, not just sympathy, it's truly understanding the thought process and where someone else uh, is coming from. What were those significant emotional milestones in you know that person's life or that culture's life uh, that that may help shape their mental model of their world view uh, you know there there's some other uh, things in there that we can talk about uh, you know uh, the other principles are self-reflection self-reflection and awareness excuse me self-awareness and reflection how I think how somebody else thinks applied critical thinking what's the difference between critical thinking and heuristics or you know rule of thumb or uh, quick thinking and then group think mitigation. So those are the other principles tied in with fostering culture. 
I mean, if we think about that too, Cray, we're talking about, you know, maybe in a, a DOD, a .gov or a .mil space, but now let's put that squarely in a .com space. Hey, I'm in finance, you're in legal, and the security person wants to come talk to us. That's three different languages right there. That could be three different acronyms. That could be three different cult cultural, um, corporate cultures that are coming into, um, I, I was going to say clash, but that's maybe three different corporate cultures that we need to synchronize messaging on because once we get to that common operating information and language, we get to the platform and now we're able to talk to decision makers and say, here's what we're seeing. Here's the, here's the options, if you will. And now we need you to make, uh, to make a decision on that. Um, you know, it, it's, it's highly relevant. No, you're right. Not just, just what you brought up. There's actually very, very important. You just talked about, we'll say in this case, finance and security and, and legal, and all of them are experts in their respective fields. Now you have to translate the, uh, uh, the technical terms or whatever in order to make sense to a decision maker, especially if they don't have those kind of backgrounds so they can understand uh, how you came up with your assessment or what your concerns are, and then uh, provide, uh, then be able to provide that guidance or provide that decision uh, and fully understanding up to that knowledge a moment in time with the information that they have and also know what gaps there are because you, you should have a feedback mechanism to try and mitigate those gaps. And just like those assumptions, if you can't prove those assumptions, then those remain assumptions until you have that information that either makes it a fact or then you realize it's a bad assumption. And that ties into why a, a red teamer's a red teaming mindset is good is you challenge those assumptions because uh, especially when people build those mental models and we, we build mental models throughout our, our entire lifetime. And if we find something that's successful because humans by nature like identifying patterns, uh, we might try and uh, plug in something that's been successful into, uh, into something that looks like a similar problem, but maybe the underlying uh, issues are different. And because we have this mental model that makes us, oh, I've seen this before. I've seen this many times. This is a solution that will fix it. And that may not necessarily be the case. That ties into that. Uh, you got to tailor it for each situation that you come across. Brian, I got a couple questions. I, I, I want to come, I want to come back to something before I forget. I want to ask you about this. Just thinking about what you said about, Hey, I've seen this a million times. I know what it is. Is this a reason that we miss what's termed as gray rhinos or even even worse yet black swan events uh it, it can do that absolutely chuck so uh, uh the definitions i'll use basically for each is i use uh, nassim taleb's black swan book as his definition of black swan he calls it the rarity you know it's an extreme impact uh rarely happens or never happens and and uh, has second and third order type of effects uh, I'm paraphrasing there. His book is really, really good. And as a Marine, that was the only book I've read so far I needed a thesaurus with. Um, also with uh, Gray Rhino by Michelle Wooker, uh, you know, what she defines as a gray rhino. It is, so unlike a black swan, which is a low probability, high impact event, uh, gray rhino is a high impact, high probability event. And there's various reasons why people don't want to address it. Uh, and this ties into maybe systems thinking uh, or, you know, and maybe our U.S. political cycle, the, the political cycle itself, you know, every two years or six years or every four years, someone gets elected. Uh, and it basically ties in that we know this this issue, this thing is coming. And usually we put our, you know, be an ostrich, put our head in the sand. Oh, maybe it won't affect us or we don't have enough resources. Oh, this won't be that bad. Uh, and this ties into another article, uh, Rubicon Theory of War by Dominic Tierney and Dominic Johnson, written uh, a little over 10 years ago. And basically, it talks about the deliberative and implemental mindset. 
So if you're in a deliberative mindset, you're more open-minded. This is where red teaming maximizes varying perspectives and really looking at those issues. Usually when someone makes that decision that you get into an implemental mindset and there are various biases that kick in, uh, cognitive biases that kick in, which may lead to uh, overconfidence and things take longer than you expected. Things are more expensive than, than you originally thought. Or if you haven't thought of the implications of your decision, something may happen that you didn't anticipate. And now you have to scramble to maybe come up with that strategic messaging or come up with a lot of money to fix a problem that could have been, uh, you know, uh, you know, the old adage of an ounce of prevention. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Ontix Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of safety, security, and protection, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. That is why we created the Ontix Center for Protective Intelligence. The center is a trusted resource for those in security, safety, and protection communities. We share strategies and best practices, insights on current and historical trends, and lessons learned through dialogue, discourse, and alternative analysis from some of the industry's top practitioners. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. Let's rewind a second and go back to this, you know, this conversation about finance, security, and legal. So let's put ourselves in this scenario and I, you know, it's a bit tongue in cheek and generic, but I'm curious, Brian, if I were to come to you as a consultant and said, Hey, I have this issue. We have these risks we need to identify and we have a board meeting. I think I want some type of uh, decision support in terms of a red team. How would you go about organizing red team, knowing that the elements that you have to well, that I don't want to say battle, but the elements you have to deal with, you know, security, legal, and finance, and we need to get some type of decision support um, criteria or white paper or whatever the output would be to the boards so that the board can make a decision on certain risks. I, I realize like, hey, here's a bunch of stuff I need you to think about right now. But I mean, what would be your initial thoughts on on something like that project? Yeah, Chuck. So actually, the first thing I would do is first, I would listen. Uh, first, I really want to understand what the problem or the issue is. And based upon that, uh, based on what I heard uh, from what you said, Chuck, is, you know, uh, studies have shown that if you have a diverse, uh, I'll say red team or a diverse or on a team with diverse perspectives, it's better to probably have a red team where, hey, now that I know what the issue is, or what the problem is or what you'd like a solution to, uh, this is where I would probably ask to what's the what's the desired end state what's the mission that needs to be done what are those tasks that need to be fulfilled in order to meet this desired end state and from there i would say okay based upon you know if if there's something that has security or legal or finance implications i would actually prefer a team and get those people together and this is where uh, i would ask the uh, decision maker you know we have to have a team they have to be together for a little bit of time based upon the the issue whether it's a strategic issue or a tactical issue or an operational issue in the corporate world I, that would determine the time that they would need to be together and it doesn't have to be one lump time it might be hey we have to get together every you know two days a week or one day a week based upon what the problem is uh, and then i would if i were to be helping with the situation i would actually once we define a problem i'd get diverse opinion and probably get another team to ask the same questions 
uh, not necessarily knowing the purpose, just saying, this is what we need. And the reason why I would do that, and I would use facilitation techniques in order to achieve the divergence and convergence of thinking that needs to happen at the beginning of this, uh, to see if, if there are two, uh, if two teams come up with similar answers, that's good. But also this is where I would flip on my contrarian hat or where our gaps, uh, you know, legal, we have multiple States. So do all States have the same, have the same laws? What laws are different than the, the state that we're, that our, our headquarters are in, for example, uh, you know, maybe that ties in, you know, with, with finance, uh, you know, finance, do we have different fisc- uh, financial responsibilities if our corporations and our, our, our offices are in multiple states or even multiple countries? You know, what do we need to think about for that? Uh, with security, I'd ask what the primary security issues is. If it's more like, you know, they're looking for an insider threat. Okay. Let's, let's play some of those, uh, let's, uh, play some of those emulations out, figure out where our gaps are, where are our gaps in our security protocol in our standard operating procedures or whatever the corporation calls those those standing procedures that have already been established if they have been established. And also, uh, you know, if it ties in with, uh, you know, cyber defense and we don't have any cyber or IT experts, that's where I'd grab, uh, grab those individuals because they have that knowledge, even if it's a consulting type thing, that knowledge that would be able to help Make sure that your uh, corporation or your company has the infrastructure in place to at least do first level triage and help design that resiliency that you need. Uh, because if you have uh, from some of the books I've read, if you're not if you haven't been hacked yet, you will be. So oh, that resilience is very, true. very important in order to uh, maximize from a cyber IT perspective uh, that you get what that you have put in place what you need to. And as far as a decision maker, you got to take all these uh, considerations. You got to rack and stack your priorities. And this is where actually red teaming can help the organization uh, maximize based on their priorities, what needed to be addressed first, what needed to be addressed second. Uh, you know, here are some indications and signposts that if, if these happen, then maybe uh, what's on our priority list might need to change in order to get what the decision maker needs to make those decisions and understand the implications of their decisions. So you have some, uh, you know, in the military, we call them branch plans or sequel plans, or at least from a, a, a operate, yeah, operational and communi- communication plans. I mean, it's interesting to me thinking about this. Uh, I'm excited. So if, if you need this help, please call Brian and I. We're, we're happy to put this together for you. Um, thinking about like, hey, if it's a corporation, we might go and look at the corporate 10K and say, this is what the corporation says their strategic risk thresholds are. Let's translate that down to the decision support team. So we can understand when we come back, like, again, security may have a certain mindset, you know, lock all the doors, bar all the gates, nobody in. Finance legal might have other things that are sacrosanct to them, but we have to fit all those into the corporate culture, if you will, who who might say, hey, look, we need to be open. Uh, We're worried about our brand. We're worried about these things. So, you know, we as a red team might have to, you know, like gently nudge the entire team to say, look, you're all looking at it from your optic. However, this is what is informing the decision of the board or the key decision makers because their risk understanding and their risk thresholds are stated and they're different than yours. So now, you know, Red Team, again, is a, that support, uh, decision support structure helps maybe marry marry that strategic uh, strategic thinking with those operational and tactical thinking. Am I correct in that in that thought process or is there something I'm missing, Brian? No, you're you're right about that, Chuck. And, and the the key about this is, you know, the other good thing about red teamers is you try to do as best your job in the background. 
you know, I don't need the accolades. I just, you know, especially from a risk management perspective, uh, I don't really need the accolades, you know, at least in my, you know, from my experience, I still am duty on our country. So whoever I'm working with, I want to make sure that people are uh, best prepared to handle the issues uh, and more importantly, those issues in the future and maybe even doing some forecasting and predictive analysis to help the uh, decision makers understand, you know, uh, what they need to be ready for based on whatever timeline in the, in the corporate strategic plan that they have. Does the plan need to be modified? You know, I'm pretty sure COVID is throwing everyone's uh, sales for a loop between, uh, you know, if I was a brick and mortar store, COVID hit, that it was an impact. You know, we're now seeing the, uh, the second and third effects of a lot more, I'll say, uh, e-commerce type things. And now COVID is not is getting out of the pandemic, more of an endemic. And now we've seen, you know, uh, you know Amazon, I think, was laying off people. You know, uh, uh, Meta has laid off, I think, over 10,000 people. And other e-businesses have started to lay off some people because that rise in e-commerce has not continued to rise maybe at the forecast that maybe some people had made in the, in the COVID, uh, during the COVID uh, era. Curious to me because, you know, if you listen, you know, I'm, I'm no economist. I'm, I'm not saying you are, Brian. I mean, you know, just off of thoughts, you know, you hear a lot of economists say Q3, Q4 of this, this calendar year are going to be very interesting in terms of the economic environment. So, you know, it, it almost makes me wonder, like, would red teaming be a good thing for folks to consider now? Like, how does that affect me? How does that affect my business, both strategically all the way down to, to tactical? What do you, th- what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, Chuck. So you bring up economists. That's good. You know, uh, economists and meteorologists, I, I figure are kind of <laughs> the same field. And what I mean by that is, you know, look at a, a perfect example. I'll use a meteorological term, hurricane, right? Hurricane. We know it's coming because we have the technology out there. You can call that a gray rhino when it shows up, right? We know this, this, this weather phenomenon is coming, um, but there's a cone of confusion for a reason. You know, in a complex adaptive system as in the uh, Earth's environment, we don't know exactly where the storm's going to go until very close, you know, very close to where the eye is at, right? You know, it could shit, you know, a perfect example, the Hurricane Ian originally supposed to hit Tampa, and then it hit south, actually not not far from, I believe it was Fort Myers, and, uh, you know, that was where my mom's house is. So, you know, we, we took a two-hour drive, you know, to Tampa where, yeah, it would be, be bad, but now this the storm is literally coming over. You know, my mom is up living with uh, with my sister and brother in law. But uh, that's just that that kind of uh, thing with go with economists. You know, just when you're talking about Chuck, if they say it's a third and fourth quarter is going to look very interesting, what does the term interesting mean? What information are you using? And and I just don't want to. Oh, you know, I don't want the flowery language. I want the data. I want to see the data. I want you to explain the data that is giving you this informed opinion. And this comes in the cognitive dissonance where if that information it might not fit what that uh, forecaster or this economist is putting out, they'll still probably keep that flowery language because they don't want to be proven wrong. Or they'll say, well, we didn't expect in this case, uh, you know, uh, we didn't expect COVID. That's why our earnings are off. Uh, you look at the Chinese, uh, you know, complex deficit. Why is there, you know, in addition to COVID policy, why is their economy not doing as well as they should have been? Well, people know they've had a severe drought in you know, one of the rivers at such a low level that a lot of hydro, hydroelectric power has to be shut off from the factory so they can keep it for a critical infrastructure like uh, like homes and, and hospitals and stuff like that. So there's all sorts of things that you need to keep into mind of what affects what you're looking at. And, you know, this is where I know red teamers think about capability and te- at least on the DOD side. So if I'm going to look at risk mitigation, I'd like to have that 
like we talked about earlier, the common understanding of a language that an economist or something is using. And if it's not, uh, if it is not uh, as specific or they, or if that economist cannot explain why they think the way they do, this is where a red teamer might be able to help, help uh, the staff, the group or the staff figure out what better questions to ask. And then what language is being used and ask, Hey, what is this word? I know it sounds crazy. What does this word mean to you? Does it mean the same that you're preaching as it means to my organization? If not, let's come up with a with a common understanding of what this language is, so we both have a an understanding, have better and mitigate uh, implied assumptions. Yeah, it's you know I'm an old information operations person from the military, and we used to have a saying that said words have meaning, and you know it was kind of a joke, but it also played out many time time and time again, both when we're dealing with intra agency and then other nation nations to make sure that, like you just said, you say that's blue, I say that's aqua, they say that's robin's egg. We need to kind of come to an agreement that it's somewhat bluish so we can move on and not get hemmed up in that or or get uh, or get caught up in it so we, we miss the important facts. I mean, and red teaming, again, as a decision support function and, you know, natural critical thinkers will help do that. Brian, I, I know we're close on time, but I have two more questions for you because I know someone's listening to this going, and it just hit them. They're like, I, you know, that's me. I want to do that. Do you have to, I mean, do you have to be from the government or the military to be a good red teamer? Uh, no, Chuck. Uh, I, I, this is where I would actually call the red teamer mindset. And this is what I uh, tell my learners, even though most of them are military, but they come from a diverse background and I teach anywhere from corporals to colonels. So it's interesting. So it's, do you have an intellectual curiosity? Do you have the intellectual courage to ask the tough questions, to ask the hard questions, which is going to force the recipient of that question to give, like we talked, oh, this is going to be interesting. Uh, what do you mean by interesting? Uh, oh, this is going to be bad. What do you mean by bad? Uh, you know, give me some, give me some context to the language that you're using in order. And that ties into that really uh, asking those really good, tough, hard questions and having that intellectual courage to stand up to your why you, your assessment is the way it is or why you're thinking the way it is and be able to relay that communication. So a, anyone who's got a red teamer mindset, you know, uh, intellectually curious, has intellectual courage to ask the hard questions and, uh, and the intellectual courage to stand up to maybe scrutiny that, you're, that your alternative analysis, oh, that would never happen. Well, if you ask the Marines in 2011 in the Camp Bastion attack, you know, there were certain assumptions that weren't challenged. And, uh, and at that time from that report, that unclassified report, they didn't understand the adversary's mindset. So, uh, I think it's very important to tie those things into, yes, you don't have to be in the military. There are certain qualities that make a good red teamer and uh, a recommendation. I don't get any kickbacks is if you read super forecasting by Philip Tutlock, things in there, uh, that tie into what makes a good forecaster. That's a good red team. There's another great book out there called Leading with Questions by Michael Marquardt, probably the best book I've read in over 30 years that helped me better understand why question, why asking questions is so effective and how it can help uh, solve problems and, and some other things. So what, one last question for you, Brian, and I, I could go on for, for two more hours, but I realize we can't. So I'm listening to this out there and I'm a chief security officer or I'm somewhat of a, in the risk decision-making um, scale in my organization. And this has piqued my interest. And I'm thinking I need to incorporate this. So from a business leader's point of view, whether they're risk or, or in that risk field, what's the first steps towards 
trying to form or consider forming a, a red team function in their organization? Yeah, thanks, Chuck. So I would actually, uh, I know I kind of said this earlier. So, you know, what, what do I need to do to start a red team? First, I define what you need a red team for. Uh, do you need it for physical security insider threat? Do you need it for cyber defense or IT defense? Do you need it for planning, strategic planning? Do you need it for risk mitigation? Do you need it, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'll say this, for consulting. Uh, and, and at least the way that I approach consulting is, look, I'm not selling you a widget. I like to utilize the intellectual capital that an organization has. And I go through the journey with them and maybe give some recommendations and have those uh, hardworking people in that organization come up with the answers that they need because they best understand their, their corporate culture and their organizational culture or the inter- interactions with their stakeholders. Once you figure all that out, that's where uh, talking with the leadership, you get a, a, a vision of what you want the red team to do, what the tasks that they need to do, what are the solutions that they need to come up with, or in a, uh, maybe in the IT world, cyber world, you know, what kind of resilience plan needs to be developed because we're going to do cyber defense, but also uh, need to have that plan once we, once we, if we do get penetrated, what, how are we, what are our protocols? How do we meet someone gathering information, whether it's for stealing or for cyber ransomware, whatever the case may be, and tie that into, you know, uh, other things, uh, you know, uh, you know, finance and legal, like you talked about earlier. So once you figure out what you want a red team for, it might be for multiple things. You might need to have multiple small red teams to handle these specific these specific things, or just have a nucleus of a team and the ability to reach out for subject matter experts, you know, other companies or in academia or what have you, in order to have these conversations or help them uh, help have them help you work through your issues and problems and come up with solutions and, and mitigate those risks type of things. So once you figure out what you want it to do, what the vision is, what the mission is, and what the desired end state is, uh, that's where I would reach out, whether you hire them for your own company or whether you look for certain companies that offer those kind of services and you know write up those contracts and help them help you de- design, maintain it, where you hire people or you have a, a contract relationship with them where they're supposed to provide uh, these services for you, and if something happens, they help you work through those those issues from a security type type uh, perspectives. Awesome. In in the words of Kramer from Seinfeld, that's that's gold, Jerry. Gold. So, uh, Brian, I really appreciate you taking time out of of your work schedule and and training young Marines and old Marines alike to talk to us about red teaming and and what it is. And, and thanks so much for coming on Onchik Center of Protective Intelligence podcast, my friend. No, thank you very much, Chuck, for having me. And, and uh, you know, I look forward to further discussion with you or anybody else who has any other questions. Thank you so very much for this opportunity. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by A.J. McKeon. Our music is a track called Monteverde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smoke and Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.co or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. Thanks for listening.